along to the English and Maths booth. Um, we are very excited to be joined today um, by Chris, Chris Briggs, and he is joining us um, as the sector manager for Post 16 English and Maths at Pearson. Um, prior to that, and he's been there a while, prior to that, he's got 15 years notched up um, teaching English and Maths home and abroad. And you're laughing there because a lot of years notched up. But it's important to see how many years you've got in the sector, I think, Chris. I. I, I think it is very important. It's 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 a it served me in very good stead for my job. There's very few things that have happened in Pearson when talking to centres that I haven't actually seen firsthand. And also, I've been very lucky, very fortunate that I've taught in work-based learning, FE schools, uh, and abroad, but also in community learning as well. So that I have seen it all at varying, obviously, um, amounts of time, shall we say? But it does stand me in very good stead. I feel. It does. It certainly does. I know I don't have as much on there, but I've done um, FE, um, community-based and schools-based uh, and alternative provisions of schools. So, yeah, once you've, once you've block, you've seen it all, and it does give you that, that wealth of knowledge of when something unexpected happens, you may have seen it before. And I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so we're going to be talking today about functional skills in math. And I know you're really passionate, Chris, about the... The, the reasons why students may or may not be experiencing the levels of success we expect at functional skills in in um, post 16. But I just wanted to start with a little bit, if you could just give me a little bit about what does the level two landscape look like as the mix of students taking level two? Because I know many colleges have switched to GCSE. So what does level two landscape look from Pearson's point of view at the minute? In terms of the level two landscape, what, what we've got is we still have colleges that are doing level two with the learners. Obviously, with the condition of funding, if they don't come in with a grade three GCSE, they can put the level two down as the end point. Um, but what we do find is that uh, the majority of the learners seem to be older. Um, and they could be learners that are on apprenticeships. Um, they could be adult learners coming into colleges. There's a lot more in that sort of framework in that group there um, it'd be interesting to see as well because they've just announced um, the extension of the relaxation of the stretch and challenge rule for level two english and maths in apprenticeships so that again reduces the number of learners doing level two maths in apprenticeships as well but we as i say we're still seeing quite a, a high level of adults and older learners there and I think as well, from my experience, I think apprentices um, and adults tend to naturally pull towards the level two because they've got that fear of failure from GCSE, perhaps, that they've carried for some time. And it, it is a complete fresh start for them, isn't it? It is a fresh start. And it's I think you'll find it's a little bit more, I don't want to use the word straightforward, um, but there is this ability to, to study within their own time frame. They're not governed by three dates in June when they need to be taking tests. They can take the test when they want to. Um, for a lot of apprentices, it's compulsory anyway to be doing level two. It's, you know, you don't want to be doing GCSE maths if the entirety of your apprenticeship is sort of counting on you passing the maths and English as well. I also find as well with adults, you know, I've taught on a few adult programs and we had an awful lot of problem with retention with GCSE and adults, when, when they realize what it actually entails, they, they suddenly feel the urge to, to move and gravitate towards the functional skills. And I also feel it, it's more useful in everyday life. And I, I, I still agree with that for 16 to 18 year olds as well. 
I, I, I think a lot of that is true. I know for my adults, they carry that fear of failure that they failed their GCSE and, and therefore they don't want to go anywhere near it. And I think that might explain the drop off that you've experienced too, in that they, they, they just need that fresh start and functional skills gives them that. And it, it's important to stress it is a level two qualification at level two. It's not less than a GCSE. It's on the same level. It is on the same level. And we've got to understand as well, since the reform, it's been designed to look a little bit more like the GCSE than it was before. There's a, it, it feels a little bit more of a progression towards a GCSE than it did when it was the, the legacy. So, and if you actually look at the level two questions, they are challenging um i would say it's i always judge a paper by how much i have to physically think as i'm doing it I, you know <laughs> i i am a math teacher i i should feel i should feel like i can just sort of close my eyes get on with it and be fine but there are, are occasions in in both the level one and level two papers now where, where i have to think a little bit before i can do it and i think that's where the challenge is for the learners it's not just a, a an easy option but it's more realistic to what they'd be doing in their their normal lives. I feel. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I would agree with that, and I think I think the language of it um, certainly as well plays into that as well. So that was a bit about level two. Tell us about level one. What 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 does level one look like at the moment? Um, for for FE. Um. I think when you're looking at level one with an FE, you again you need to split things out by the age groups um, and when you look at sort of how learners are progressing um, adult learners doing level one apprentices doing level one they seem to be holding their own I would say that learners that are doing level one that have come in at the say last September at the start they have struggled um, right. I don't think necessarily it is the nature of the qualification that's caused it to struggle. It's almost the perfect storm of what's actually been happening across the country, um, which has made their lives incredibly difficult, I think. Um, you know, th this going from online learning to face-to-face -face learning to online learning and things like that, it is a challenging setup at the best of times, but I think it's very difficult when you're working with maths particularly, um, especially with a 16 to 18 year old client base who are not necessarily engaged. You know, those, these are learners with very fresh memories of what maths was like in school. And if they're yeah. coming in and doing level one, they probably don't have the best memories of maths in school. Um, and, you know, I've always said that when I taught 16 to 18 year olds in FE that nobody in that class actually signed up to be in the class with me. They, they didn't want to do maths with Chris. And I'd like to think it wasn't just me. Um, it's just this whole maths being compulsory. They, they haven't yet at that point got it into their heads almost that they really do need to do this. And so what you've got at the start of, you know, September this year is learners working remotely and they, they don't have that person in front of them that they know that they gain trust and rapport with and they've, they, that means engagement has been very very difficult and I think we've seen that then throughout sort of the sector and what it, what it looks like there's just been a lack of engagement at times that's not I, to say I, that learners haven't been successful because they have but just not necessarily in the numbers that we would hope for 
Yeah, and I always say with with the double glazing salespeople of FE, you know, everyone needs windows, but nobody wants to shell out for them. Yeah, everybody needs no. math, but nobody wants to shell out the effort that it takes to achieve the qualification. Yep. Um, and I think I think that's true. I think we struggle with engagement for maths anyway. And I think I can take some of what you said in that there's the challenges that have been presented to students have meant that that drop off has been slightly more significant than it has been in previous years, maybe. Yes. Yes, I would completely yeah. agree. Um, and then looking at the level ones, you're saying that the, the adults are still doing well at level one from what you're seeing? They are probably not necessarily doing as well as you would expect in a, what we class as a normal academic year. They still have sort of, it's almost like a disenfranchisement of, of their learning at times, but they are doing better than 16 to 18 year olds um, and it could be primarily just down to the level of engagement at, or the level of need you know if, if you're an adult doing functional skills maths generally there's a reason why you're doing it and those those learners have signed up to be in that maths class so you you find that they are keen to develop and they will put the time in and the effort in that that is needed because you know I do firmly believe that you need to spend time outside of the classroom developing skills and knowledge in order to progress with your maths just generally not just functional skills yeah 100% the the time that we allow maths to be in FE it isn't enough for the qualification no. if you compare you know having taught in schools you know you're comparing upwards of 10 14 hours of a timetable sometimes for those at risk of not achieving yeah on high intervention programs to all of a sudden drop into perhaps one and a half to three hours of math in, in fe if they couldn't achieve with the significant investment of the school and then we reduce the time we're spending with them um then yeah it, it, the math literally don't stack up for changing those outcomes no no they don't and i think one of the things that we need to understand as well, and one of the things that's really important is that maths is a knowledge-based subject and there are just certain things that these learners need to know. Um, and if they don't know them, if they're doing an assessment, it's a very lonely place. Uh, I talk about sort of when I'm looking at the differences between English and maths. If you're doing an English level one reading paper, every single answer is there in front of you on a piece of paper. You just need to find it. If you're doing a piece of writing, as long as you're relatively creative, you can you can almost blag what you need to do. Blag is not the right word there. But you, however, if I ask you to find the area of a circle and you don't know how to do that, there is nothing that you can do if you're in that situation where you're going to be able to find it. So you do, you know, these learners do need to know stuff um and you know it has to be it's almost like a, a need for, for repetitious drilling they have to practice and practice so they get to the point where it's almost second nature and that doesn't happen in a very limited time frame yeah I completely agree with you so thinking ahead then to to the to the new academic year what are your top tips when you were teaching or what are your top tips now from an awarding body what are the top things that teachers should invest in in these initial weeks for new students um okay it's a relatively long list <laughs> <laughs> i think the first thing to really consider and it may not be the first few weeks but i think it needs to be almost every single session is exam technique 
what we're looking at is a cohort of learners starting in September that will not have taken a live assessment mm -hmm. since they were 11 years old. And that, that means they need to have a lot of understanding about how exams work. Yes, they can say, okay, you will have done mocks in school, but it's unlikely those mocks will have been a full hall kind of assessments that you get in a traditional school. So these learners need to be sort of almost brought in to how to deal with sort of the exams and things like that. Then to add to that, the learners need to understand the, the basics of maths, especially at level one and at level two, even at you know the entry levels. What what we're looking at is, you know, a lot of the time the learners don't know if they're correct or not correct when they do something. You'll you'll have done this. A learner will do a piece of work for you, hand it in, and they will think it's right and they are nowhere near. Yeah, kind of inverse thing. operations are one of the core things, oh, aren't yeah. they? Go back and check it works. Go back and check it works. Well, yeah, I've got checking answers on my my thing here as well. There's a <laughs> there's a thing with what, what I do at Pearson, what I talk about. There's a lot of our questions are, you know, George thinks he spends one hundred pounds. Is he correct? And there'll always be a few learners will go, no, George is not correct because I think he spends a thousand pounds. And you got to ask yourself, how easy do you think Pearson has made that question? If the real answer is a thousand pounds, you know, really, you know, we're talking about a small percentage either side of a hundred is potentially going to be the answer. So if you're out by that much, you should really know that you're wrong. But the learners, they they don't, so they need to check their answers. Um, and on the assessment itself, it's guaranteed marks every single time. So much so that I actually wrote sort of resources and support materials for checking answers and estimation for Pearson so that we could actually support learners doing this because they're just not doing it. They tend just to leave it. Um, then on top of that, it's just the basics of maths. Um, one of the worst areas in terms of success for learners is positive negative numbers. So yeah. coverage, coverage <laughs> and range point, I think it's number two or something like that at level one. And it, it's always the same. And we've, you know, we put sample questions out there and stuff so people can sort of have a look. But it, you know, learners think two positive, two negatives make a positive. And it's like, well, that will work if it's five minus minus five. But if it's minus five minus five, that's not going to work for you. And the learners yeah. really struggle. They've been taught a rule that isn't really a rule. And I remember being told very early on in my teaching career, never teach a learner a rule in English and maths that at some point you're going to have to say, yeah, sorry about that next week. You know, don't yeah. teach them I before E except after C because that's just going to irritate them when they realize that it's not true. And it's the same with that as well. And I think one of the other things that I would, to really look at is problem solving with the learners um this whole concept of you know you've got them to the point where they can do the basics of maths not only that they can do the basics of maths without a calculator as well then the key thing is can they extract the information they need from the question um and it's it's quite interesting sort of trying to do that. It's something I tried to bring into my teaching towards the end of my teaching career as I saw there was more of a need for it. Um, I had a technique where it would be Chris is the calculator. So you would, I would be at the front with the group and um, 
the the question would be there for them and they would tell me what to do and I would do it. And it's about guiding them then as in what is, you know, what's the first step in this question? There's a lot of no's in that as well. There's a lot of I go, no, that's, no, that's not the first step. No, no. And, you know, it's, it's about sort of just looking at the types of questions that any awarding organization asks and then guiding them through how to do it. And I think that's key. I, I think the final, final, final thing I've, I've got, I said final before, is making <laughs> sure the learners are on the right level. That's one of the key. What we, you know, what you've got to be wary about is grade inflation. Um, yeah. We we talk about grade inflation. We we try to say there's not a grade, and we is not just is not Pearson. We means the country. We we try and say there's not grade inflation. Um, I get I, I I have the. Um, the grade four success rates for post 16 for the last three years in front of me. And it goes up, you know, from 20% to 32% in a space of a year that that suggests great inflation or a level of genius of teaching that wasn't there before. I'm afraid maybe it's because I left teaching and that's why it's got better. Um, <laughs> but we've got to be wary. And if there's great inflation at the top end as well, there's going to be great inflation at the bottom end. Yeah. And, you know, and again, final, final, these learners, <laughs> you know, that are starting in September, the 16 year olds, they won't have done maths for a very long time. Let's be honest. You know, we, we oh. talk about them, you, they do their GCSE and they then go off uh, and then come into college. They won't have done a lot before that GCSE, GCSE either as well you know a lot of the schools would have been prepped ready you know the school that i'm a governor at they knew this was coming um they, they were all prepped and ready for this it's just you know making sure that it was actually done and it's the same for a lot of schools so you you've got learners that haven't studied maths and you know for potentially instead of three months six months uh. which is just not going to make i've just i'm creating this nightmare scenario for everybody sorry about this <laughs> when you listen to this back in september you'll be thinking oh why am i a teacher <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know we we do it because we love it so oh i used to do it because i loved it anyway that's what i'll say that's it isn't it we do it because we love it i'm capturing that quote we do it because we love it we do you you wouldn't choose a, I don't know. I genuinely think you wouldn't choose to teach FE math unless you absolutely loved it. Yeah, I thought, it was, I thought you were going to say unless you absolutely had to. And I was thinking, well, I didn't have to. I could have done <laughs> no. other things. But, yeah. And this is it. You wouldn't choose to, would you? You know, you. I came to FE because I made a choice to move from schools to FE. I know people who've made a choice to move from their subject to math. You make a choice. And, I, you know, and those that are railroaded into teaching FE math, you know, the retention figures are not great on the teachers that I know in my small circle. So, yeah, I think you've got to have a love for teaching anyway to be an FE, but definitely a love for teaching math to teach FE math. I, I think it's incredibly important, that passion, because, you know, you have you have to remember on the whole, you are dealing with learners that have not had a great deal of success with this subject and they're coming in and they're not expecting to be a success you know in five years i taught in an fe college i taught one learner across english and maths at gcse level who came in expecting to pass mm. and you know 
he he got an A. That shows how long ago it was. He got an A, and that was nothing to do with me. He just knew that he'd not been as good as he could have been on his um, uh, GCSE the first time he took it. And he said, "Look, I'm here. Just give me the support. Put me in for the exam, and I will do it." And he got an A. Everybody else, you know, they come in thinking they're not a success. Because despite this whole concept that a grade one is a pass at GCSE, mm-hmm. we still don't treat it as a pass. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't celebrate the success of somebody getting a grade one, which for them is a massive achievement. And then moving on to a level one functional skills, we don't celebrate that as, as a success as much as we should be. Completely agree. Completely agree. And we have come to the end of our time, Chris. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Um, If you want to just give a shout out to um, any social media or anywhere where people can find or follow you and connect with you after listening to today. Okay, um, you can. I am on LinkedIn um, and I am on Twitter. And I suppose you're going to want me to say what my Twitter handle is. I think it's it's John Christoph, J-O-N, then Christopher without the R on the end, because I I thought it sounded a little bit more exotic than Christopher John. (laughs) And it, if Christopher John just shout, sounds like my mum is shouting for me. So I thought, no, no, we won't do that. So it's John Christoph um, is my Twitter handle. And I, as I said, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn as well. So we do put we'll a lot of stuff We'll tag you in the description there. as well. We'll excellent. tag you in the description for the episode as well. Um, but thank you for joining us today, Chris. Oh, okay, excellent. Thank you for inviting me on.